This is Hard Parking, brought to you by Right Hunt and Right Toyota out of Scottsdale, Arizona. Of course, I am your host, Jay Finning. Coming up on today's show, Sean Corbett, local car guy, awesome car. We both have lean pins. We're going to talk about that a little bit. We're going to talk about what he does for work. Also, I bought a new car. That's right. I have have officially replaced my 1997 Acura NSX. Worked really hard to get good credit. And I use the Experian app. Pay money for it every month. It's Experian, Equifax, and TransUnion. But the Experian app is always updated. The Equifax and the TransUnion, those get updated when I get a hit. And if you want your refresh, it's once a year or you can pay like 20 bucks for it. But, you know, my wife and I have worked really hard to pay all that stuff down. And like years ago, I mean, we, I don't even know how we can afford a new car. And it's It's crazy. And it's a sense of accomplishment. I don't officially pick the car up until later this week when uh, I get back from South Carolina on this on this family trip. But, you know, so what did I buy? I'll tell you right after this break from 4Wheel Online. Jay Finning here, and I want to tell you guys about 4Wheel Online. For over a decade, 4Wheel Online has been bringing the best truck accessories and truck parts to enhance the appearance and performance of all trucks and SUVs. They are dedicated to providing an extensive range of upgrades that will match any maker model on the road. Their truck products cover everything you need to give your truck a custom look and added functionality. And if you need a tire and wheel package, head over and use the configuration tool. They carry all the major brands of wheels and tires, so we'll get outfitted today. So visit them online at 4Wheel Online or call them at 813-769-2451. Again, that's 4Wheel Online, the number 4 Wheel Online. All right, so what did I buy? I've I've been trying to tease this online. I've been trying to shake people off who follow me on Instagram. They all, all want to know what I'm getting next. I really, really love the Aston Martin Vanquish, the 2002-2006 Aston Martin Vanquish. Uh, the Vanquish S is a dream car of mine. Well, the Vanquish is a dream car of mine. And every time when it shows up on, like, Bring a Trailer, I post it because I really want one. That's like my my second or third favorite vehicle that I'm going to own one day. And the price is right for those right now, but that is not what I bought. What did I buy? I am the new owner of a Acura NSX 2022 type S 130R VIN 130 of 350. Yeah. Pretty exciting. You know, it's, uh, it's kind of cool as of recording this, it hasn't quite set in yet. I think it's, uh, Like once I go and pick it up and I get in the car, I turn it on, I'm driving it out of the dealership. It'll probably start to set in a little bit. But I've said this before because everyone, when I bought my other car, everyone's like, oh my God, were you so excited? I bet you were just doing cartwheels up and down. And I wasn't. And here's why. When you win the lotto, it's unexpected. Like we all talk about what we're going to do when we win the lotto, but like realistically, none of us ever really expect to win the lotto. If you win a bet, Right, you bet on team this team to kick that team's ass, and you do like a five hundred dollar bet, and it's like twenty to one odds, and you win, and all of a sudden you're rich. That's exciting. When I bought my first NSX, it took me twenty years, twenty years of dreaming. Like I literally had dreams of owning that car. So once I got a job and could actually afford it, then once I bought the car, it was more of a sense of accomplishment, not excitement. And I remember pulling up. Like I, I, I bought it in, in Minnesota, took a red eye flight from work, picked the car up, 
drove to Milwaukee to pick up my wife who took the ferry over from uh, Muskegon. We made a trip out of it. We went to the wine, you know, we went up north around the UP, uh, the Mackinac Bridge, Mackinac. Uh, we did everything in North Michigan. And then as we're pulling, as I was pulling into Grand Rapids, like a, two days later, I was at the last stop sign of my street. And I looked to the left where my house was, about seven houses down. And then I got that big smile like, holy shit, this is mine. And that's about it. You know, that's about as exciting as I got owning that vehicle when I first bought it because it was more of a sense of accomplishment. It's like, finally, after all this time, like you think I would have cried. I'm more likely to cry because of that than I am to jump up and down in excitement. People are excited for me, but that's just how I am. And with this car, it was one of those things where like a lot of stuff had to happen. And I've said that before, but like number one, you know, I had to get it with no dealer markup. That was the first deal. Because I can't afford ten, fifteen, twenty, fifty thousand dollars over stickers. One hundred seventy thousand dollar car. Got that? The general manager said we can do that for you. I said all right, cool. The second thing had to be sign off from my wife. Yes, it is important to get sign off of your significant other when making a major purchase. She signed off on it. We ran the numbers. She goes, well, if we, if we, if I think we can do it, we can do it. And I said, well, you're the accountant. You tell me. Because we've handled three car payments at once for over a thousand dollars, and kind of where we wanted to, you know, kind of stay with this one. It's like, look, we both make a lot more money than we did at that time. At that point, if we could pay a little bit more than that a month, if it makes sense, plus the car is already worth more before we even buy it, it's an investment. She signed off on it. Number three, when the car went on sale, I had to get, I had to make sure I was one of the lucky three hundred fifty people to secure the vehicle because at 9 a.m. August, I want to say 13th, whatever the Friday was, Pacific time, you can officially order the vehicle. $10,000 down, which is crazy. I was just getting off the airplane from Monterey, connecting through Phoenix, my hometown, to Michigan to meet the family. I get off the plane. The general manager left me a message. Hey, Jay, give me a call as soon as you can. We want to get this thing secured. Time was about 8.30. By the time that they would submit at nine. I would have already been back on the connecting flight. Try to call my wife. She didn't answer. No time to get her permission to put the $10,000 down, call the dealership back, said, okay, here's my American Express gold card. Here's my $10,000. Make sure you don't submit it a minute before nine. Make sure you don't submit it a minute after nine. And then we're in. So they submitted it. And I didn't know for about a week if I even got one because the way Acura did this, it's like, okay, well, the top 100 dealerships in the country are guaranteed an allocation. Then the top of the top are guaranteed two vehicles. That's a hundred, you know, that's about 150 cars. Now there are well over 200 something dealerships. 300 of these cars went to the U.S. 50 of them went to the rest of the world. So the pool has already shrunk. My dealership wasn't even a top 100 dealership, but they were given an allocation. And despite there being five or six people in line, I was the first one to get my order in. That car had my name on it. So that was the next thing. Number four, I need to make sure I'm working because I'm a contract worker. I live my life three to six months at a time, basically. And I got a contract extension, which is good, but the car was slated for a May build. And I was like, well, shit, if I get a six-month contract extension in January, that's going to be really close because it's you know proof of income, proof of employment. You know, when you're filling out the application, everything has to work out. 
So I never got excited, even though my wife signed off the dealership, I got an allocation, got a build date. I was very tentative because I also had to sell my old car for as much as I wanted. And I could have got more money for it easily, but I also could have got lowballed. but I got what I wanted for it. So that was another check mark. But this whole thing was like a list and everything had to be checked off in order for that to happen. And everything one at a time was getting checked off. Lost one job because I had two part-time, full-time. And uh, by the time I lost my full-time gig, the car still wasn't here. That's the one I wanted to use because I've been working for them nonstop 2018. And the other one was like, okay, well, this is just going to have to be the job for me. But I eventually got another contract, which is cool. So at this point, the first company that I wanted to work for forever, I picked up another contract with them. So I could put on my application. I've been working with them since 2018. Even though I had a break, if it ever, if someone ever asked, it's like, yeah, well, I took an administrative leave. What the fuck? Anyway, call them and verify my employment, bitches. But they didn't need that. They wanted paycheck stubs for both jobs. I did it. They never asked why was there a big gap. They wanted W twos. We made we made just we made a lot of money last year, more money than we're probably ever gonna make. Just things just worked out with me working two jobs, my wife from getting a raise. We just made a lot of money last year. Paid our credit card down really low. A lot of hard work, a lot of hours working, a lot of money put toward that shit. And then here we are. Car was here. Car was it, and then it was. It was amazing. Went and signed the paperwork, and just going to keep the car there. Keep the car there for another week. Here's why. My son's dogs were, were my, my daughter's watching them while we're in South Carolina. His dog sitters quit because his dogs are fucking nuts. They're a lot to handle. They're fun dogs. Neither one of them have been fixed. They're both males. They pee and shit everywhere. One of them is fucking nuts. The other one is pretty cool. But like, that's a sign, right? If you have a dog keeper, if you have two dog keepers and they're both like, nah, we're, we're good. Fuck that. We're done. Then you got to train those dogs. But he doesn't want it to. So we have the dogs now in this giant cage in the garage. But I didn't want to bring the car home because the garage is messy. Why is the garage messy? Not my fault. You remember about a month ago, I was telling you about the uh, the remodel downstairs. We're turning the bathroom and the laundry room into like one big morphed room with adding an extra access door on the outside, on the side, and all that kind of stuff. Project was supposed to take six to eight weeks, ended up taking like four and a half months. That's the one where the post tension cable broke. Uh, end result was pretty nice. It's not the, if you were around long enough to watch them do it, there's a lot of like stupid shit they should have done better, but just walking in on the situation like, Oh, wow, that's really nice. But they didn't finish that until I was in Canada. And so we still have shit in the garage because the plan was for them to get it done for us to fix the garage, get, rearrange it because I had the cabinets, you know, the hanging cabinets everybody has in the garage. So I had the cabinets, the desk, the, uh, the floor cabinets, the tall one, and everything was a unit. But what happened was the door going into the house, they had to move that over. They shifted it over one side, like three, three, four feet, and it went right into where the cabinets were. So I had to take part of the cabinets down. But now you have the door and you have the water heater, and I can't put the cabinets up there anymore. There's just no room, so I have to switch them to the other side. So there's a lot of stuff that we need to do in the garage, clean the garage, do all this shit before the car got here. The car is here in the area, but I, you know, it's like, I, I don't, we're going back to the dogs though, because my daughter, she's going to forget about them. She will. And they're going to pee or they're going to take a shit. And by the time she gets to them, if she cleans it up, the smell would have already like soaked into the car. And I was like, fuck that. That car is staying at the dealership until we get those dogs out of my fucking garage. 
But yeah, it's pretty exciting. But one thing that I came across, so we're looking at the paperwork. And again, going back to the credit, we worked really hard. Like I, I finally have over 800 credit with one of them, 788 and like 760 something. Crazy, as I'll talk about later, I've gone through debt consolidation twice with my wife. But here we are, high sevens, 800 credit. It's important to us. A lot of it was built up for this car, to be completely honest with you. But when we're looking at the credit forms, it says, they ran my Experian, and my I got a credit score of 720. And I was like, 720? It's just, that motherfucker's 814. I know what my credit is. I look at the app every fucking day. Let me ask Will about it. So that's what Will is. Will, you know, Will's a good friend of mine, but he also works for GM. Uh, what did not GM? He also works for Toyota Financial. I mean, this is what he does. He looks at loans all day. So I'm going to ask him, Will, what's up with this? I got 814, and this motherfucker's telling me I got 720. 720? Really? Like 720 was a pipe dream for me like three years ago. But still, I don't know. Still hasn't sunk in. It will sink in. If you're a Patreon, you already knew this. You got pictures of the car already. Thank you for your support. But coming up, Sean Corbett. Will Leitner, good friend of mine, does financing for Toyota. Will, I got a question for you. Uh, As I said in the opening, I just bought a brand new car. So I've been working really hard on my credit, right? I showed you the other day what my credit scores should be according to uh, the Experian that I pay for. Yeah. It's like 814, 7, I don't know, 88, and 7 something, high 7s. So when I was looking at the paperwork for the car from the bank, they used Experian, but my score was 720. There's a lot of lenders that go off of Experian. Um, most mortgage companies do the same thing. Um, I, I, I don't know. There's a lot of companies that will ask to pull TransUnion or Equifax for a higher FICO score. Um, but there are some companies that strictly only fall to that certain FICO um, or that certain certain bureau. Um, so, yeah, it's weird how they all intertwine because none of them are the same scores. Because um, some trade lines report to one bureau and sometimes they don't report to another yeah, but like like my experience right now, it's eight oh one. I just pulled up the app, and it's it's down thirteen points because of getting the car loan, like the getting pole, the, right. the, ink, the ink the pool. But why does my experience tell me it's eight oh one, and their experience telling them it's seven twenty? Like, what are the hidden factors that people need to think about? You um, know? So there are yeah, there because there's different um, FICO like like Intel threes, Intel four, Intel five. So every time there's like a new update, they come out with new stuff, right? So new algorithms and whatever. So whenever they come out, most of the recent one, I think is FICO eight. And that's a lot of the newer stuff. Um, so if a dealership is running off of an older FICO um, testing stage, I guess it would be, um, they'll pull a different score. So if they're using FICO two, they won't see the FICO eight score with the new algorithms that the, the bureaus are now polling. Mm. Um, and a lot of times dealers don't upgrade their, their stuff because it costs thousands and thousands of dollars to or get all that unions. stuff. Or yeah, credit unions, banks, um, a lot of dealerships that I talk to, they run off of like FICO three and four just because FICO eight is expensive. It's just like windows. You know, you buy a windows program and gives you new applications and new cool stuff and features, but it costs a lot of money for lenders or even not even lenders to dealerships in general to buy that product. Is there a, is there, so there's no way a consumer would know what, which 
FICO version that, so I would assume since I'm using the Experian app that I'm using the latest FICO version because it's their fucking app, but I don't know yeah, if so Florida State Credit those Union ones is run off that. of like basic information. Um, so it kind of gives you like a general idea. So the only really like true ways to, you know, do that freecreditreport.com, you can do it once a year and that'll tell you exactly what it is at that exact moment in time. Um, but yeah, like applications and stuff, um, big one is that credit karma. That's just kind of like inflated. We think this is your score. It's not an actual true FICO score test. So it kind of gives you a general idea of basing it upon um, information from everybody around the world with similar profiles. So it kind of gives you like a, a dummy FICO score in the realm, but it's not exact. But like this is the legit Experian app. <laughs> it's not credit and karma. Do you, do you pay for it? Yeah, I pay for this. And then and every year. Was like it, an eight and then they had like a 720 you said? Yeah, so this is we got. I got eight hundred one from Experian. My Equifax is seven eighty eight, and my TransUnion is seven seventy four. And they put like a seven twenty or whatever. As of May eleventh, as of May eleventh, as of today. So May eleventh. So since this is Experian, you know Equifax and TransUnion, it only refreshes once a year, or or unless I want to pay for it. Which you know, since I'm paying for Experian, I it, it refreshes like every day. So it's weird. Like I still got the rate that I wanted. I got a killer rate, killer terms. 1.99%, five years, amortized out to 10, balloon payment after five, $1,300 a month. You know, it's, we still got like a crazy fucking deal, but it would have sucked had, you know, that score have like knocked me down or they'd be like, well, because of your score, we got to increase it a percentage, you know? Yeah, and then with the rates that are sitting at now, um, yeah, and anything really over a 720, you're going to be a, a tier one plus. So people who have like, 900 credit score it's just bragging rights at that point um but yeah you can be a 720 and still get an 800 plus score rate yeah um because it's all based mm. off of tier one plus tier one two three four um some other lenders at my previous job it was like um like b c a credit you know like the little wayne song a1 credit right so it's based off of like a1 a2 a3 so it's different verbiage but same thing so I'm wondering if then, if I'm looking at the paperwork, because you said 720 plus is all the same, I wonder if they just like, it. I hit that 720 uh, bracket and then just stop counting from there. Essentially, yeah. Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter because it's not 719. Yeah, and if, yeah, under that would just be like a tier one, and then you get your, like a slight upright. It's not going to be super drastic. It's It's minor, but, you know, some lenders have different specials and stuff. And I don't know what kind of stuff that you have with yours, if they had like a, you know, a certain special for that vehicle or something, which nah, man. <laughs> maybe, but I highly doubt it. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, it just really kind of depends on the vehicle type sometimes. But yeah, yours, I, I don't think it even applies. Yeah, so I got approved for a certain amount and I, I wanted 10000 more, but apparently even a dollar more would have had to have gone up to the CEO at the bank to approve. I was like, oh. yeah, there. Everybody has like a, a credit limit, so I can approve up to like ninety uh, ninety nine thousand nine hundred ninety nine dollars So hundred grand up to one hundred twenty thousand goes to my supervisor. One twenty to two hundred goes to our um, our credit manager, essentially our AVP, and anything above that goes to 
the next person, which is like three to five hundred thousand, and then anything over five hundred thousand dollar goes up to like the CEO. So everyone has their own limits. Um, just so somebody like me is not approving a six hundred thousand dollar Lamborghini or something, um, you know. So there's there's checks and balances put in place for stuff like that. Oh, that's that's pretty cool. Well, hey, man, I, I appreciate that. That's a question Yvette and I had, and I was like, well, I'm just going to call Willow. He, he, this is what he does. He can at least tell us, yeah. you know, if there's some sort of a secret code or something. But hey, even for the listeners, it's a good thing. So you're going to take me to pick up my car? When are you coming back? Well, we'll be back Wednesday, and then I'm thinking I want to go maybe Thursday or Friday. Do you have to go in the office either one of those days? I'm 8 to 5 uh, next week. So. Fuck that. I'll find someone else to take me. <laughs> but yeah, I'll, I'll be eight to five and I'm off next Saturday. Maybe I get on a Saturday. It's not a rush. Maybe we do Saturday. We'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. All right. Sounds good. All right, man. Take care of my dog. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> it's been a long time since we've done this. Kind of a Arizona ride of the week or just social media highlight of the week. This gentleman, we've talked kind of off and on, and I said, hey, when are you going to come on the pod? And he goes, anytime, brother, and it's been months, and it's been my fault. But finally, on the Cell Shop hotline, so we're going to call it now, Mr. Sean Corbett. What's up, bro? How are you? I'm doing good, man. Uh, first off, thank you for um, for your patience. Thank you for being available. Yeah, no problem. My pleasure. So tell me a little bit about you, because... You know, it's it's a constant theme on this show. Whenever it is, I do have someone on, and it's always the same deal. It's like I don't really know much about you. I see you at the car shows. You have you have a a bitch and little ride and whatnot, but uh, I don't like. Where are you from? What's your where's your area code from? Tell me a little bit about Sean. Yeah, I'm just um, <laughs> I'm I'm actually originally from Detroit, and uh, so I grew up um, most of my young and teenage life in Metro City, Detroit. So I'm from the 313. Right. And then um, my family was like, well, they wanted to kind of get me out of the bad area and give me like a better opportunity. So sold our home and moved out here to Phoenix, Arizona back in 97, roughly. Oh, you've been out here for a minute. Hot minute. Yeah. I'm older than I look. Yeah, I was, I was doing <laughs> the math in my head. Like, I don't know how old you are, but you're, you know, you look like you're in your 20s, man. Yeah, no, I'm actually, I'll be 42 this year. No shit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I've been around for a hot minute. It's obviously not the Flint water then. Of no. course, it wasn't an issue then. Yeah. No. No. But, um, you know, I like it. I miss Detroit. I go back every now and then just to go visit and uh, kind of hang out in some of my old spots. A lot of the places that I used to hang out are gone. But it's still nice to go back and see old friends and stuff like that and see how they're doing. But I wouldn't want to live there anymore. I well, like it here better. Well, yeah, but Detroit, I mean, that's, I think for the, for the giant cities, that's, it's been tougher for Detroit to kind of get back. And I've heard it's on its way back, but man, for, for a oh, while yeah. there, it was pretty scary. Yeah. No, I, I kind of grew up like right in the, uh, they call it the cast corridor. So it's right between Woodward and Cass. And, um, so in that area, it was a bit of a mix. So if you went down the wrong street, it was like just a bunch of crackheads. And if you went down another street, it was just like a bunch of 
like regular people. So it was just kind of an interesting mix, kind of like how some pizza uh, parts of Phoenix are. Well, you could be like literally across the street and it'd be million dollar houses, and across the other side of it, it's like crack houses. So, right. Um, but Detroit was no different from that. But yeah, it's it, they've done a lot of building and and they've uh, kind of improved the area and home value goes up and um, gentrification and all that. It's kind of people have moving back into the city and they took like old warehouses and turned them into apartments and stuff like that. So it's just like kind of cool stuff. Um, but uh, yeah, I haven't been back for about five years been wanting to go back. My, I had plans ready to go and then COVID had hit. So I just was like, wanted to wait it out a few years sure. before I went back, but I'm definitely probably going to go back uh, next year for sure. So you've been around here a lot longer than I have. I've only been here for eight years and, you know, with a 616, you know, I'm from the other side of the, the state. I didn't grow, grow up there, but I lived there for probably 15 years. So I'm kind of uh, the other side of the mitten there from you. Nice. I think most people like in Phoenix are, kind of transplants or from some other area and it's kind of a rarity to bump into people who are from here that are older like us like back in the day it was just like hard to bump into people but i guess now it's not a big deal but no it's cool i love phoenix i mean i wouldn't trade it i mean I go to other cities and they just don't really compare i mean here we're we've got stuff on top of each other but it's kind of semi-organized and i like the way that it's constructed so um I mean, I live in Phoenix now, so I'm really close to uh, the Biltmore. So I have like really nice stuff around me. If I want to go downtown, right. that's not far. If I want to go uptown, that's pretty close. So, um, and if I need to travel anywhere in the city, I'm basically centrally located. So I picked this spot for a reason because I'm basically just 20 minutes from anywhere, which is really nice. Yeah, the grid setup here is is unlike any major city that I've ever been to. It's it's so easy to get somewhere, and there's multiple ways to get there. Yeah, absolutely. What are some of the, the craziest things that you've seen, or what, what's something that's going on in Phoenix now that you wouldn't, that you couldn't have imagined, you know, 10, oh. 15 years ago? When I moved out here, I literally moved to the northernmost point where there was nothing. And that was uh, like Happy Valley Road and the I 17. There was nothing. There was nothing wow. there when I first moved out. The bus route came all the way up to 35th Avenue and Yorkshire. That was the farthest that it would go. So when I was a kid, if I wanted to go anywhere, which was like Metro Center or go to um, Mills, um, you know, I had to take a bike all the way down from Happy Valley to Yorkshire, then cap uh, take the bus all the way down, which was like an hour ride just to get to Tempe Mills. I mean, I remember when uh, GameWorks first opened up. Like, I was there, like, when they were still brand new. Um, and uh, Metro Center was popping back in the day. That was my spot, uh, just to kind of date myself. But now, like, Metro is no, no longer. It doesn't exist anymore. And uh, now they have bus routes going all the way up to Happy Valley, and they've got so much established up there the the deer valley 30 that's there wasn't there when i was a kid that was all brand new stuff um it's just wild how much this city has like really expanded and grown um even like chandler right i remember when they were building the uh 202 and everything south of that back in the day 
And then, you know, you got Santan and all those areas. There's just like all new neighborhoods. It's just, it's crazy. Like how much the city has really grown over just like the last 10 years. What, what happened to Metro center? Like you've, since I've been here in eight years, I've seen car meets and weekly events and cars and coffees come and go, come and go. And I haven't even been here that long. Like how much, how much change have you seen? Is it, is it kind of like the stock market where it's really big when it's really big and then there's nothing when there's nothing or, or what do you think is going on here? Well, with Metro, well, Metro Center got kind of dicey because people were getting shot there all the time. They had some weird, sketchy stuff going on there. And then people, the business just, just moved out. But um, not been going to meets for decades. I remember back in the day, we used to go to um, like Armando's uh, like up at Deer Valley and uh, the 17 that used to be like the spot or like Ramiro's and everybody used to go out there and hang out on the weekend. And uh, of course, then people would go street race and, you know, do burnouts and all that other malarkey that would get stuff like that shut down. Malarkey. Um, yeah. Malarkey. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Nice. Shenanigans. Yep. Um, those damn kids. Those- yeah, those are just some of my favorite memories, though. Like, I've always been going to meets um, since I could remember. Um, but um, my car build, like, wasn't... It's been kind of done on and off, like, over the last 15 years. But it was down for, like, the longest time because I really wanted to redo it the right way before I took it out to meets and shows and stuff. So there was a period of time that I didn't really attend anything for probably, like, seven, eight years how did that feel? Like, what did you do with your time? You just moved to some other hobby or like, what did you, what have you done? What do you do for work? Are you always changing what you do or is it closely related to cars or has nothing to do with the automotive industry or the, or the scene? Yeah, no, I, I didn't want, uh, well, so I used to have a shop. So I, I had my own, uh, auto repair business back in the day that was back in 2012. And oh, then, okay. So I used to have a shop up in North Phoenix, like right off of the 17 and in Union Hills. And I had that open for a little bit over a year. And then um, I went over to JCCS to show off a car that I had. And somebody broke into the shop and stole like a bunch of parts and, and uh, damaged a lot of stuff uh, in the property. So I kind of got a bad taste after that. So I shut down my business right after that and uh, didn't really do anything automotive for a long time. But, but my main field is um, sales and customer service. So right now I actually work in debt relief. It's great. I get to work from home, like mm-hmm. pays the bills, make good money. And I can uh, take those extra liquid funds and, and dump it into my car projects, which is nice. So debt relief, are you, do you collect or you help people consolidate? Like, tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, so I help people consolidate that. So I deal with a lot of people who are looking for, uh, they're either looking for a loan or they're just, they just want to consolidate their debt because they just don't have any breathing room. They're trying to get rid of their credit card debt. And then I, we explore like different options like debt settlement or credit counseling and just kind of see like what's a better fit for them. But the main goal is to try to put them in a position where they're able to consolidate the debt into a more manageable or affordable payment and be able to save money at the same time while simultaneously actually working towards paying off the debt within a reasonable time frame. So it's a lot of boxes to check. It's not hard to do. It's just a lot of people are not uh, open-minded to new ideas. But uh, for the ones that 
usually are, then they succeed really well in most types of programs. How do you, how do you describe, like, what, how do people get into those situations? Like, how would you, because you get to talk to all sorts of people, and is yeah. it, because I think the, the, the public perception of someone who's never probably been in that situation is maybe they gamble, or maybe they do something just reckless no. with their money, or, you know, but, because I'll, I'll answer the question, and then I'll give you my thoughts on that. It's a lack of education. So when, you know, we were younger, right? I mean, we were all 18 once. And I don't know if you remember your first credit card, but it doesn't. I'll never forget it. Yeah. (laughs) It doesn't really come with instructions. They just kind of give it to you and say, here's your limits. And that's it. They don't really explain to you that you need to. Uh, you know, watch your utilization, keep it under a certain percentage. You need to pay off the card. Uh, You know, you're just like, oh, I've got this free amount of money. And then you basically go blow it because you want to go buy all of the stuff that you currently don't have. And then you get the bill and you're like, oh, it's just 30 bucks. It's such a small payment. I can easily afford that. And then a couple months down the road, you realize that your balance is still the same. It's not going down. You're like, well, that's kind of interesting. And then you... um, quickly discover the the pains of of high interest right so it's hard it's easy to get into credit card debt but it's hard to get out of because people will spend all of this money and then just budget for the minimum payment and then when they realize that they that's just not enough they don't have the money to unbury themselves so and again there's no benefit to a credit card company explaining this information to a consumer because it's <laughs> right. in the creditor's obviously best interest to make as much interest as possible. Sure. So you can tank your credit very easily, even if you've never missed a payment in your entire life and just have high utilization and balances on credit cards. So, um, but I mean, most of the people that I've been dealing with though, it's like mostly COVID stuff. I mean, if you have a choice between, starving or using that piece of plastic to put food on the table for you and your family. You're going to every use time. that piece of plastic every time, right? Every time. Yep. Um, so you just have to go into survival mode and the the justification is like, hey, it is what it is and I'll figure it out later, right? But um, when later comes, you're like, well, you know, what are we going to do to unbury yourselves because we just don't have the money to do it? So that's where I would come in and just say, hey, this is what we can do. We can work with the creditor. We can explain it was a COVID situation. And like in settlement, um, the creditor would forgive a significant portion of the debt and then let you pay back the remaining portion in interest-free payments, which is really nice. So it, it allows me to reduce what their costs are sometimes up to 50% and give them like a little bit of breathing room so that they can save money and still satisfy the debt amicably with the creditor without any long-term impact. That's huge. Yeah. I love my job. It's, it's, it's amazing to like start the conversation with somebody and literally they're in tears because they feel so lost and they don't know what to do and they're just coming to you for help and then within an hour conversation they're they're tears of joy right they're so overwhelmed and happy that you were able to help them out it's just it's such a huge uh like 180 that you can uh impact on people and i'm a firm believer in every aspect of my life that you always find people or places and you leave them better when where you found them 
right? So if I can impact and communicate and touch so many people and leave them in a better position, um, that in itself is rewarding. Like I would do it just for that, but obviously warm and fuzzies don't pay the bills. So it's nice that I do get paid for it, obviously. But sure, of course. You know, I love my job. It doesn't feel like a job to me at all. So my wife and I, I was, so we just, um, like we've been working on our credit and we've been doing all that, you know, paying off. And we just went to uh, Toronto. And this is our first time going to Toronto since we got married in 2004. We went there for nice. our honeymoon because we didn't have a lot of money. We were both starting out, you know. And I yeah. remember a conversation, I'm going to bring it up with her later, that I remember asking her how much money did she think she was, she's going to need. And she goes, well, I think I'd be content with like, I forgot how much she was making, like 40 grand at the time. Yeah. Like seven, 70 grand a year would be all I need. I'm like, okay, that's good money. You know, it's pretty good money, you know. Whatnot. Yeah. But we went on this trip and, and looking back, we don't remember anything from the trip because now we're in like a completely different, you know, 18 years later, tax bracket, different jobs. And I said to her the other day, I was looking at my credit scores, and I go, holy shit, you know, I just, I showed her three of them, you know, one's, one was over 800, and the other two were high sevens, and our DTI is like 20-something percent, so we're getting ready to buy a car. Um, and I said to her, actually, we did buy the car, <clears throat> I said, could you look at this score, could you ever imagine, because we had to do, we had to go through someone like you twice in the last 18 years. Oh, wow. Yeah, you know, and we had to dump our, our retirement you know, we had two mortgages because we had moved. We like had to spend so much money just to move here to Phoenix. Yeah. And I stopped doing the the big bread job for stability. And then I had to jump back into the field. And it's just, it's crazy because I think initially when you said, remember your first credit card, like we get into debt because we just don't understand. And the thing is, I remember it's Gordon Jewelers card. I got it at, uh, at the Galleria Mall in Dallas, Fort Worth. And I remember I bought some herringbones. And the lady, she's like, oh, well, you still have, I think my limit was like 1800 you know, you still have 700 or more dollars to spend or whatever. And you think of that like, wow, okay, I, got, I, can, I can rack this thing up because just like you were saying, man, you know, they don't tell you don't spend this money. They say spend it all because it's in their best interest. And I ended up buying a Movado watch and that, that card followed me for so many years. And it was part of the first <laughs> debt consolidation. Jeez. Because you just... You pay once you once you get over your go overhead, you know, it's like yeah. the interest rate automatically spikes if you if you're late for five, you know, five yep. days and all of a sudden you're paying thirty percent on a card and you're making minimum wage and you're just fucked, man. Yep. And then when you make that payment late, it all goes towards the interest. You've missed your window. Yeah. And then compound yep. that by a million different credit cards and car payments and, and rent yep. payments and utilities. And like you said earlier, you know, if you're gonna eat, you wanna eat. It's not just buying Jordans and just stupid shit, man. Just people with just normal just everyday life yeah yeah it's tough and then people like they use their credit cards for everyday expenses too so they're literally just credit dependent so when you communicate with people because part of the deal with debt relief is they have to lose their credit cards so yep. they, it's, it's a huge security blanket to them they don't want to lose it i'm like look you're going to be able to save two, three hundred dollars a month. You don't need the credit card anymore. And they're like, oh yeah, right? It's just it's become such a, a crutch at that point. And you're asking you're just ripping it away from them and say, sprint. <laughs> they're yeah. just not prepared for that. Um, but uh, sometimes you just have to shock and all the credit like that in order to uh, get out from under it. So but yeah, it's it's an epidemic. I mean our company, we probably enroll at least two million dollars in debt every single day. I mean, that's wow. just how busy we are. Yeah, it's pretty insane. 
what was what was the hardest part about running that business as a startup for you? With my shop? Yeah, with the shop before the vandalism and all that came. Um, you know, I did it be- I opened it up because I wanted to have kind of a cool like hangout and work on cars kind of a stuff. So it wasn't really meant to be like a full-fledged auto repair shop. I mean, it was just registered that way. So I just did like my car projects and other friends and would just do some side work. Like I would meet people randomly and I'm like, oh, I have a shop. And then they would say, oh, you know, could you do like this and this for me? And I'm like, yeah, come on, cut them like a really good deal or whatnot. But um, my rent on it at the time was so cheap, like back in the day in 2012 for a shop space, uh, 1500 square feet, it was like, like 800 bucks maybe. And um, I also built like an upstairs loft. So I had lived there too. So um, mm. I was sa- saving money. So it was kind of cool, like a little fast and furious kind of right. style. You know, <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Thing. Yeah. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, all good things come to an end. I mean, it is what it is. But I, I would love to, now that I'm older, have like another uh, kind of shop like that kind of situation, just kind of like have like a cool little spot for you know, friends to come over and have the lift and stuff like that. Just something where, you know, I can use it not just for me, but like for like the like friends and like my car friends to use. Just kind of give back to like my team or community or whatever if they need help with stuff. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, you know, it is what it is. I mean, people will take advantage of you. Like I I have a pretty strong suspicion of who actually broke into my shop. I, I won't say it obviously for liability pers- uh, purposes because I can't prove it, but um, it was somebody that, that I knew that was close to me. <clears throat> so they just kind of took advantage because they knew that I was out of town. I didn't advertise it. Sure enough, like literally as soon as it was in California, somebody broke into the shop. So I was like, well, that's kind of, that's suspicious. Mm-hmm. That's weird. <laughs> well, that sucks. Right. Yeah, but um, hopefully that doesn't happen to me again in the future. So, um, but we'll see. Life so you, isn't over yet. So you and I, we are Lean Pin alumni. How did you get that going? Oh yes, because so, it's a very difficult thing to, to do. Well, I had talked to him way, way, way back in the day and we talked about collaborating and he was like, yeah, it's going to be this much to, to invest into it. And I was like, Oh, I didn't realize that there was such a huge cost. And at that time I actually had to pass. So there was a, there was an initial offering and I didn't take it. Um, and then later when he kind of blew up and then he was just like unavailable, but mm-hmm. I just kind of like, you know, just saw him at shows and just said, Hey buddy, like, you know, I'm here. Here's the car if you want to check it out. And uh, I think it was just kind of always on his radar. And then one day he just kind of hit me up out of the blue and just said, "Hey, are you are you ready to do it?" And I was like, "Yes." Right. You got you got to take advantage of that when it comes. Yeah, man. I was like, I totally missed it. So second chances don't come often. Um, but uh, yeah, I hopped all over it. But sadly, when I went out to the to the mm. launch, which was at the Honda Fest, they totally messed up where his um, uh, crate was supposed to be. So they they had back-to-back events that weekend, and they put the crate on one side of the parking lot where the first event was, but the Honda Super Meet was on the opposite 
parking lot. So he was literally on the opposite end of the entire event. So he wasn't mixed in with the other vendors. But people obviously that wanted the pins like would come all the way over to get the stuff, but it wasn't like in the mix of everything, right. which which kind of sucked. And then he gave me all of my pins and I put as many pins as I could into my car, like in my glove box and stuff like that. And I put the rest of them in my backpack and I had my backpack with me by my car pretty much the whole day. And right at the tail end of the show, I like stepped away to go do something and someone stole my backpack with like half of the pins and um, all my cleaning supplies and my, um, room key to my hotel and some other stuff. Luckily I had my car keys on me and my house keys because that would have sucked on my wallet and everything. But uh, all the stuff that I had purchased at the show, like the stickers and shirts and all that, all that was gone and uh, lost like half of the pins that I had, that I had paid for. So that release went super quick because whatever he had, he sold uh, at the show and online like same night and then whatever I had left, which was half of what I was supposed to get, um, went really quickly too. So no one ever found the backpack or the pins. So I think they might have got tossed or something, but I haven't seen anything since about it. That's super shitty. And as you started to tell that story, I remembered what happened. And man, that's just shit. Yeah. Do you do you watch eBay to see if it ever pops up? Yeah. Like just the pins? I- yeah, I someone actually sent me a link for one, um, but it wasn't. It was just like one. It wasn't like yeah. uh, like a multiple. And if it was like, hey, I got twenty of them, then you know that would have been obviously like a huge red flag. But um, I think somebody probably just grabbed it and maybe threw it away or whatever. Took the pens. Who knows? Whatever. That's a tough break. So tell us about what the pens were. Tell us about your car. Yeah. So. My car is one of the most expensive Del Sol's ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I did not realize what I was getting into when I started this project, but I wasn't going to stop until I finished it. Um, I bought the car back in 2006. Uh, it was just a stock 92 Del Sol SAR from Japan. The guy that I bought it from lived in Buffalo, New York. He bought it from an importer. And back in the day, you could bring cars over as a shell, right? Like that was the workaround, right? I remember that. To beat the loophole. And so you could bring the whole shell over as a part, put it all together, and then you have a car, you could register it as the car's special construction or whatever. So it uh, it had like a New York issued VIN number, but it didn't have a title. So he couldn't get a title for it. So he sold it for about 6,500 bucks to me. So I was like, no problem. Flew out, bought the car, had some undisclosed issues, like whatever. I didn't care. It was like a right-hand drive Del Sol. It's what I wanted. And then I drove that thing uh, literally with no plates (laughs) across the country and no didn't get pulled over once. No. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it took me like two and a half days because I would just drive until I was tired. And then I would pull over to a rest stop and just crash out for a couple of hours and then just hit the road again. Um, but uh, yeah, did it in about two and a half days. And then uh, basically just kind of drove the car around for a little bit and then took it apart. Um, 
I had, there was a buddy of mine. He used to have kind of a Mugen inspired Del Sol. His name's Noel Heine. He had a black one. It was actually in Honda tuning back in the day. Like, oh, that's um, badass. Rod, Rod Rez, he, he shot that car and that thing was on my wall for the longest time, like a picture of his car. And I was like, this is the car that I want to build. I want that kit. So I connected with local JDM experts like Matt over at ICB. And he got me like my first part for the car, which was like the, the front bumper, the Mugen front bumper for it. And um, then I literally spent probably... Yeah, like four or five years gathering most of the area kit from different places and uh, other different parts. And then in 2012, 13, like after my shop got broken into, um, they stole like a bunch of stuff off of the car, like a lot of the moving parts that I, they had found. So I had to like rebuild the car probably like two, three times until it's in its final form now, but it's a complete, uh, Mugen Pro 3 is what they call it. So technically, it's a third-gen CRX Del Sol. And it's got all of the Mugen Aereo, which is like the front bumper, side skirt, spoiler. It's got the full cat-back exhaust. Um, the whole car is just ground-up restoration. So literally, I put it on jack stands and put it in a 20 by 40 storage unit and just rebuilt the whole car from the ground up. Did the whole undercarriage. Every bolt's been zinc-plated. Um, all the lower control arms and trailing arms and all of that are all completely powder coated. All of the bushings are from Mugen. So I got everything front to back, all Mugen bushings, uh, Mugen engine mounts, the whole engine and transmissions got Mugen parts in it. Uh, the interior is all Mugen down. <laughs> so anything that I could everything. get for the car, it's like, it's on the car. Like there's no aspect about that car that is really not Mugen. I, there, the cam though, Unfortunately, Mugen doesn't make cams for the B-Series, so I did throw like a Skunk 2 in there for just a little bit of extra umph. but it runs on a Mugen N1 ECU, so crossovers roughly at about 4,700, but it revs all the way up to 9,600 RPM. Wow. Yeah, so it screams at top end. It's pretty insane. How do you stay motivated with getting shit stolen instead of just being like, all right, fuck it, move on to the next project? Well, I don't have a defeatist attitude, right? I, as depressing as the situation was, the only thing that I could do in that moment is just say, okay, stuff is gone. I just need to figure out how to replace it, right? Sure. Where, where can I go find these hard-to-find parts again? And it literally took me 10 years just to source everything uh, and put the whole car together. And in fact, there were some parts that I didn't think I would ever find. And in the process of building the car, they would suddenly pop up. After all of these years, my friend would hit me up to say, hey, you want you want this brand new inbox Mugen clutch for a series? I'm like, yes, <laughs> I need that. Thank you. Um, so I bought that. That was like one of the last things that I had bought. And uh, the front and rear... Um, like anti-roll bars are moving. So I run like 26 in the front and 22 in the rear. Um, what else do I got on this car? I've got like a whole list. of there, yeah, 26 millimeter front, 22 rear. Um, I run um, a genuine Mugen N1 suspension 
on the car that I completely rebuilt and randomly because I checked the Yahoo Japanese auctions every day, some guy was clearing out the, the all of the spring sets for that suspension, just all brand new in box. Everything was marked, so I bought all of them. But I run uh, 18k in the front and about 16k in the rear. Stiff. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> didn't you didn't you have a beat at some point? Yeah, I still have it. So uh, I bought like a. I used to have um, like a 2008 Mugen SI. And then on the way to work, this lady rear-ended me and totaled out the car. So I used that money to buy a beat. And uh, it's just chilling outside of my house right now. It's all torn apart. But the goal with the beat is I have all Mugen parts for it, obviously. Got to stick with the theme. Sure. But um, the, the stock motor... On a beat, it's a little because it's a K car, right? So it's a little three cylinder, 660 cc motor. It puts out about 60 horsepower, naturally aspirated. Yeah, I think it's it tiny. Something like, oh, yeah. And Honda calls it like M Trek. So it's got multi throttle body. Um, so it's got like these little individual throttle bodies on it to give it like a little bit of a sharper response. So it's the stock motor in the stock car is super fun to drive. It is really spirited, but I wanted to do something a little bit more crazy. So the goal at this point, and things are already in motion <clears throat> where I'm going to put in a D series in the back of the beat, and then I'm going to boost it. And throw maybe a little bit over 400 horsepower at that car. Holy shit. And it only weighs like 1,675 pounds. So it's going to be a little bit of a land missile. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. How and big are has, the wheels on that thing? Like 13, 12? That thing is tiny. Yeah, it's staggered. So the front stocks are 13, rears are 14. You could run 15s on there just fine. But it has the same wheelbase as a Miata, believe okay. it or not. All right, yeah. Yeah. It just looks so damn small. Oh, yeah. It's it's super tiny. I mean, it it's literally like half the size of a Miata. Uh, I mean, they, they look giant next to each other. So, um, but yeah, I mean, just throw a little bit of horsepower at it. Just like, a, you know, it's a little Chihuahua with a Rottweiler bark. So sure. Just something a little bit unsuspecting. I, I want it to be a little bit of a triple, quadruple threat. You know, take it to limbo because it's really low to the ground and small. I have lost to that thing. Yep. <laughs> and, um, you know, with the turbo, maybe uh, try to do like a little bit of a two-step. Uh, obviously, it's going to be completely restored, so it's going to be in show condition. Um, but, um, you know, maybe I might, uh, you know, see how it does on quarter mile. Uh, maybe even just try to drift Shit. it a little bit. You just have fun with it. I just wanted to make something that was just so unsuspecting and that's never been done before. Cause other people have thrown other motors at it. Like I've seen uh, the Hayabusa swap in the back of the beat and that's stupid fast too. Right. So um, I wanted to buy a smart car and do the same thing. Yeah. Cause those things are pretty light too. Yeah. They're not that heavy. I think that has been done before, though. It has. It has. Yeah, that's where I saw it. I saw one on doing a bunch of donuts on YouTube, and I was like, shit, I got to have it. <laughs> well, I wanted to build something that was uh, not done, not going to be that expensive to build. So I'm working with um, Chris Sadowski. Uh, he works over at Passport. 
and um, he's going to help me with kind of welding together and the points and stuff like that. We're going to try to put something together. I've talked to Brian over at Hasport a couple of times about making a kit for it, and I know it's been on his radar, but he's got like a million things going on. So I'm trying to see if I can somehow uh, work with him and work work uh, together and try to maybe get uh, his blessing on it to produce some sort of kit so that other people who want to do the same swap, it'll be easy for them to, or relatively easy for them to do, right? Because a Hayabusa swap is really expensive. You, you have to really right. fabricate a lot of stuff to make that work. And that, uh, you know, is outside of the price point for a lot of people. I'm mm-hmm. a firm believer of, you know, doing grassroots kind of stuff. So if I can make something that is not going to be too expensive to price out like the average gearhead that wants to say, yeah, I'll spend, you know, six, $700 on this kit and go get a D series for five, 600 bucks. And then now I've got a really powerful beat for under a couple of thousand bucks in mods. I mean, that's, you know, kind of the spirit of tuning, right? I don't want to lose that. It doesn't, doesn't need to be out of the reach of uh, people because everything is so expensive right now, like material and all that, like this, uh, you know, it just kind of takes the fun out of everything. It doesn't need to be that expensive. Sean, how can people get a hold of you? How can they follow the adventures of Sean and his, uh, and his Del Sol? <laughs> I'm not hard to find, as I tell everybody. Um, so everything is under JDM Rev or JDM Reverend. Um, so Instagram is uh, JDM Reverend. So that's like R-E-V-E-R-E-N-D. Uh, Facebook's JDM Reverend, Twitter, OnlyFans, um, <laughs> TikTok. That's where you make all your all your build money, right? It's from you, OnlyFans. You'd, be, you'd be surprised how much people pay for feed picks. I'm I not know, I've mind. heard. <laughs> I've heard, man. <laughs> hey, it's a hustle, right? Don't knock it if it's it works. Not knocking it. That's right. Yeah, no, and um, yeah, if anyone has any like questions or whatever, I'm always happy to um, you know, help out new people and or point them in the right direction. You know, I'm not a gatekeeper like a lot of people, um, but uh, you know, I like going to meets and hanging out and meeting cool people and hanging out with guys like you and try to support the community in any way that I can. Appreciate uh, you know, it. I just did the monoculture thing for the Texas shooting. They raised, I think, a little bit over five, six thousand dollars for for that charity, which was really nice. Um, so I always try to, to do cool stuff like that, but, uh, yeah, the beat though should hopefully be done. Um, my goal is to have it done by the end of this year. So next year, next car show season, that thing is going to be coming out. So you got to watch out for that. We'll be watching for it. Sean, thank you so much for taking the time. I will see you out at a meet sooner than later. Yeah, absolutely. Brother. It's always good hanging out and talking with you for sure. Thanks for um, inviting me on. I appreciate it. All right, we'll talk, buddy. Later. All right. Take care. I want to thank Sean, JDM Reverend, and also Will for uh, for joining. Uh, I needed Will just to come on and kind of explain that. Hopefully, hopefully that meant sen- made some sense to you guys because I wasn't quite sure about how all that stuff worked. And I mean, we work really hard, right? We all work hard to uh, to get our credit in shape and then someone runs your shit and it comes back less than you, you know, than that you've worked for. It's like, okay, why, why am I paying money for this? If it's something different. So I'm glad he explained that. So that's will W I L L dot L S four thirty, like Lexus will L S four thirty. That's his shit on Instagram. 
I want to thank Right Honda, Right Toyota, Scottsdale, Arizona, Fountain Hills Motorsports, Cell Shop Wireless Services, and Four Wheel Online. Also, want to thank Cuy Automotive out of Warnegar, Florida, and Pell Construction out of Caledonia, Michigan. If you're in a position to help the podcast upgrade, you can join the Patreon, patreon.com forward slash hard parking podcast. You can get access to bonus materials like learning about my car early. Also, all the Patreons that have been, uh, all the VIP Patreons that have been paying for a while. Got a hard parking podcast t shirt. Those shirts are of the highest quality because I'm a shirt snob. If you need one, email us hardparkingpodcast at gmail.com. 100% of those proceeds do go to help grant a local child's wish. Those are $25 shipped. Continental U.S. will ship international, but there will be an extra fee because international is expensive. I don't need your money. That money is going to charity-ish, but I don't want to pay to send you some shit either. You follow me on Instagram at jfinning, that's J-H-A-E-P-F-E-N-N-I-N-G, or jtravels, J-H-E underscore travels. If I said that too fast, my name is on the podcast. Don't forget to follow the YouTube page, youtube.com, Hard Parking Podcast. I think this week at some point I'm going to get the the uh the ford explorer that i rented when i was in toronto up if it's not up already but i can't do this without you telling the world how good the show is so let's do this let's grow this thing together and i will talk to you next week no seriously tell your friends shut up A beater.